let's be real, I'm unqualified at best, but I'm taking this year to challenge my fears and seek out authenticity through conversation and hopefully some daring vulnerability. The goal, I'm not really sure yet, but I hope to come out of 2022 more connected to myself and my friends and my faith. Welcome to a year of holy interruptions. Come journey with me, or you know, don't. It's really up to you. How are we possibly on week four of the Atomic Habit series? I can't believe how fast we are going through this book, and I can't believe how fast time is passing. I don't know what's happening, but the end of 2022 has been rapidly approaching. I know we're only in November. It's <laughs> it's not that close, but like I'm starting to think about Thanksgiving and Christmas, and I feel like I was just a few weeks ago thinking about Thanksgiving and Christmas. And the older I get, the faster time goes. And I get that's because of ratios and whatnot. But wow, how are we this close to the end of the year? Anyway, I don't need to ramble on about this for ages. But I, is anyone else shocked by how quickly 2022 went? Or is that just me? Maybe it's because I, I did a lot this past year. Um, and maybe it's because I've just been moving a lot. And so a lot of my life has been very fast-paced, but it has flown for me. But that is not what we're talking about today. Today, we are back in Atomic Habits. This is episode four of our Atomic Habits and Faith series, um, where we just dive into how we can create habits and um, do so in a way that is really encouraging of our faith and of the people around us. And I'm just excited to dive into it. So, Today, we are talking about habits, duh, that's what the series is about, but we're going a little bit more into what habits are and how they work, and this will really set us up for the remainder of the series. The last few episodes have just kind of been like, let's get our context, let's pull together our understanding of what habits are, why they're important, this is how they work, and then next week we'll be diving into the four laws of habits. So this is a really important episode, it gives a lot of context for the next four episodes we'll have, so please make sure you don't skip this one just because it will really help you out with the next future episodes. So on page 44, Clear defines a habit as a behavior that has been repeated enough time to be automatic. Um, and it's a recurring solution. So we have habits in place because there is a problem and we want that problem solved. And so we build up an automatic response to that problem. So if I make brushing my teeth automatic or cleaning automatic or grocery shopping automatic, I don't need to store all of those actions in my conscious brain. I don't have to be problem solving for when I'm going to do that because it's already set up and in place. So for example, one of my scheduled habits is getting gas. Now I know how big my gas tank is and I know how many miles I use per week. And so I fill up my tank of gas every Tuesday night when I am on the way to a weekly dinner with friends and I go to the cheapest gas station on island. Now my tank usually isn't all the way to empty on Tuesday nights, but I fill it up anyway because I don't have to think about whether or not I have gas ever. 
I always have enough gas. And because I know that if I fill it up on Tuesday nights, I'll be good until next Tuesday night. I won't ever have to squeeze it into my schedule. I won't have to get more expensive gas because I'm limited to what stations are near me when I'm on empty. I am freed of the mental space that it causes me, the financial strain it can create, and the stress of seeing your tank on empty while you're running late or trying to get somewhere. So I have habits and I encourage other people to have habits in order to clear out the space and the stress it can add to your life. Now on page 47, he says, when you have habits dialed in and the basics of life are handled and done, your mind is free to focus on new challenges and master the next set of problems. Building habits in the present allows you to do more of what you want in the future. Building habits is an investment, and it's one of the best investments you can make because it is permanently giving you more mental space. It is reducing your stress. Like, who doesn't want that? (laughs) You won't see results right away. Some of the habits you implement might feel weird or feel out of character, but once they're established, they will feel so natural and will give you such a big return on your investment. I think Habits can really easily be explained using the phrase, the straw that broke the camel's back. So, for example, if I were to ask you to write down everything that's stressing you out, I imagine you would have some things to put on that list. Maybe it would be finances. Maybe it would be a relational issue. It might be your kids or your parents expecting things from you. It might be your job, a coworker, a boss. I don't know what your specific and unique situation is, but you have things to put on that list. We all do. I don't think you would think to write on the list a empty tank of gas, but I expect that when you get in your car and realize that your gas is on empty and you're going to be late because you have to either fill it up or you are going to pray the whole way there and back that you don't um, get stranded or stuck because you run out of gas. Now that is the straw that broke the camel's back because it's adding on top of all the bigger things that you would have written on the list already. It's yet another little thing that is taking up your mental space and causing you stress because the big things still aren't getting dealt with because you're spending all of your energy and mental space trying to handle the little things. So building habits eliminates those minor straws, so to speak, um, on the camel's back that seem so inconsequential, but actually have a fairly large ramification when you add it on top of everything else. So let's dive into how and why habits work. Now, there are four simple steps, and we'll dive into each of them in the next four episodes, but today we're going to do an overview, and if you are following along with the book, we're in chapter three, pages 47 through 55. So the first step is the cue, which leads to craving. That's the second step. The third is you're responding to the craving, and the fourth is you're getting the reward from your response. So the cue triggers your brain to initiate a behavior. So for example, you see your Bible sitting on your nightstand and you're reminded to open it and spend time with Jesus. It's the the cue that says, hey, remember me? This is what you're supposed to do. So Rick Warren always talks about his word, first word, his word, last word, saying that when you wake up, you should read the Bible first. When you go to bed, you should read the Bible last. It should be the bookends of your day. And if you have your Bible right by your bed, you're going to have that cue to start that habit and to get that in place. 
So that's the first. Cues are first. Second is cravings, and they are the motivational force behind every habit. So what you crave is not the habit itself, but the change in state that it delivers. So you might not be craving reading the book of Exodus or First Peter, but you are craving the presence and the peace Jesus presides to your soul. You are craving God. You are craving that relationship. So it's important to note also within this that each person has different cravings. What might be a cue to me that triggers a craving may be completely meaningless to you. There's a communication theory called symbolic interactionism from a sociologist named George Herbert Mead. How's that for a name? (laughs) He's an interesting man with a brilliant mustache. You can find a picture of him online, should you like. And he is really the founder of symbolic interactionism. And this theory proves and proposes that people carry meaning, not objects. So for an example of this theory would be a microwave. When I, a woman in my mid-20s, see a microwave, I think of something that heats up my food quickly. Um, That is what I associate with a microwave. Now, if you were to bring me a child in an underdeveloped culture and present this child with a microwave, they would not associate it with heating food. They would see it as a metal box. I don't really, I'm not a child from an underdeveloped region, so I don't really know what they would say, but I imagine they would not have the same meaning associated with it as I do because I have used the object. I have interacted with the microwave. I have benefited from its use, but someone who's never used it, who doesn't understand the buttons, who doesn't realize that it creates heat, has no concept for what it is. So symbolic interactionism is really saying that the meaning of this object is not in and of itself, it's in people, and we are the ones that carry the meaning for it. So to me, looking at or wearing silk triggers the desire in me to be back in the circus. If you didn't know this about me, I used to train in the circus. It was very casual. I was never a professional, but I loved the silks. I loved dancing. I loved moving. I am amazed by how God has created our bodies to um, move and dance and perform. And I think it's so cool. So when I look at silk, that is the cue that is created in my head. That is the meaning associated it with me. But now if someone else was to look at silk, they might have the desire to put it on, to wear it as a dress. They might want to put on heels and a red lip and get fancy. I don't I don't know what other people have as um, meaning for them, but obviously most people aren't going to look at silk and immediately think of the circus because that is a meaning I carry, but that's not the meaning silk has in and of itself. So we all interpret things differently. So it's important to remember that what works for you as a cue and a a craving is probably not going to work for somebody else. And the key isn't helping people copy you. It's helping them find ways to get the same results because the results are what matter, not how you got to the results um, when it comes to habits. So the next step, the third step is the response. Now, this is the actual habit you perform, which can take the form of a thought or an action. So whenever you have the craving, you are now going to do something about it. 
And it's important to note, though, he says this on page 49, if a response requires more physical or mental effort than you are willing to expend, you won't do it. (laughs) So when you get to the response, this is where either the habit will follow through or it falls apart. And we'll get into um, why you might want a habit to follow through or why you might want it to fall apart in a little bit. But this is the stage of the response that either it's going to go or it's not. And if it expects too much effort for you, it's not going to (laughs) happen. So that's an important note. And then we have the final step, which is the reward, step four. And the three prior steps all hint at the reward. It is the big grand finale reveal, whatever you want to call it. So the cue is about noticing the reward. The cue is saying, oh, there's a reward I could get. That's exciting. And the craving is saying, yeah, I see that reward and I want it. And so I I want to get that reward. And then the response is all about obtaining it. The response is getting the reward. And then the reward is both the satisfaction of it being completed and it teaches you something about the habit and the three steps you just went through to get to the fourth and final step. So for example, it'll be, was the reward worth the effort? The It'll teach you, did the reward bring me joy and happiness? Or did it kind of not live up to all of the hype that I built up about it? Or it might be, should we do this habit again um, to trigger this reward again? Like, is this something we want ongoing? So if a habit breaks down at any of these four spots, the cue, the craving, the response, or the reward, you are not going to do it again. So it's important to note that at any point, a habit can fall apart. So you have to get through all four stages to complete a habit. And it's a loop. It's called a habit loop. And the reward, if it's a positive habit, is going to make you look for the cue again. So say you had a donut and you like the donut, you're going to look for an opportunity to have a donut again. (laughs) And to keep on with the donut, you can look at the four responses. Maybe the cue is you're walking down the street and you smell a donut shop and you all of a sudden you have step number two, the craving to eat a donut because the smell triggered that desire. So then step number three is, oh, you buy the donut. That's your response to smelling it and wanting it is you buy it and then you eat it. That's your reward um, is you've satisfied that urge to have a donut. And then the final thing it does is it teaches you to associate that street or that spot on your walk with a donut. So this can be a good thing. This can also be a bad thing if you start getting caught up in the habit of eating donuts all the time and every time you pass the street, that might be an unhealthy habit that you'll want to break. But if you think this is more of an objective habit, you walk into a dark room. That's the cue is you notice that a room is dark. So your craving is to be able to see. So you respond by flipping the light switch on. And then your reward is you are able to see you've satisfied the craving and you now associate turning a light switch with being in a dark room. So you have that information that now is going to be an automatic response. The more you do that response and get a successful reward, the more automatic that behavior will become. So say you're driving alone and it feels really quiet. So your cue is silence. You're kind of like, oh, this is kind of weird. So you crave wanting music. You want to hear something. So your response is to turn on a worship song. And now your reward is you're not 
sitting in silence anymore. Your reward is you get to sing worship music, which as a Christian is always a wonderful thing. And you have now taught yourself to associate driving your car with singing worship music. So those two now go together in your brain and you're teaching yourself that that is correlated. So using these four laws, we can create good habits and we also can learn how to break bad ones. So each law has a habit or sorry, each law has an action step associated with it. There are four rules that will determine if you follow through with the habit to produce a good one or it will create an environment where you are inconvenienced enough that you break the loop. You don't follow through all the way to step four. And so as a result, you break the habit and you don't let it continue. So for a good habit, law one is the cue and the action is to make it obvious. Make the cue obvious. So then you have law two, that's the craving. And that is make it attractive. Make whatever you're craving attractive. And then step three is the response. Make it easy. Don't make it a difficult thing. And then law number four is the reward. And that is make it satisfying. So you want to go through and do it again. So then invert it to break a habit. If you have, you know, law number one, the cue, make it invisible. You don't see it. You don't crave it. You don't do it. <laughs> step two, uh, the craving, make it unattractive. You don't, you don't want to do it. It's not desirable. Law number three, the response. Make it difficult. Make it too much effort to bother following through. And then law number four, the reward. Make it unsatisfying. It wasn't worth the effort you put in. And so you won't want to keep following through with that habit. So if you want to see change and build a habit, simply ask yourself, how can I make this obvious? How can I make this attractive, easy, satisfying? Because once you get those four things, you'll be building healthy habits in no time. And next week, we'll dive into the first step, which is make it obvious. Now, if you enjoyed this episode, I am so glad. Please share it with a friend. It really helps me out um, just to get the word out about the podcast. I love what I do and I love when people enjoy it. So if you can just share it with a friend, that would be amazing. You also can support um, or follow the episode. You can subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. And if you want to be really fancy, you can sponsor the podcast as well with a $1, $5, $10 monthly gift. Um, that is not a requirement at all, but if you enjoyed this and want to give a little gift, you can do it through the link in the description. So with that said, thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week, continuing our Atomic Habits and Faith episode, answering the question, how can I make this obvious?